just to worship God in sincerity. And uh, I'm really, really thankful. Again, if you're new, I'm Barrett, and uh, pastor here at ICC, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, this summer, uh, we always take time in the summer just for focused studies, and we always take time to really explore some things that are really important for us as a church and for our lives as Christians. And this summer, I felt really led um, to focus our time together on Sundays around the theme of spiritual disciplines. So last week, we kicked off a study, Rhythms. And uh, for those of you who are here, you've already had the intro. For those of you who weren't, I will try to do my best and summarize very quickly. Um, Basically, what we talked about last week is that the greatest desire of our life should be to know God more. The psalmist in Psalm 42 describes, it's one of the scriptures that we looked at last week. And if you didn't write that down, I encourage you to go write it down and go read that psalm later this week. But the psalmist says, as a deer pants for the flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts, longs for the living God. When, when will I come and appear before God. In other words, it's a, it's a heart cry, a deep emotive heart cry of wanting to know, to, to not just know about, but to know in terms of a relational experience, to really know the person of God. I don't know about you, um, I find in these last few weeks, I, it, it's a grace gift. I don't, I don't know, but I have found um, a, a renewed longing for really knowing the Lord. Not just knowing about, like I just said, I can know about President Obama, I can know about Mayor Wharton, but I don't really know them. There's a difference in knowing about someone and really knowing them. You can read about someone, but until you really sit with them, and get to know them and hear from them and speak to them and spend time with them. Do you really know them? I have found a longing, renewed longing. And I have been praying that God would do this in all of us, a renewed longing to really know the Lord, to thirst after him, to long for him, to wake up in the morning with, a, with like an ache for, I just wanna spend time with the Lord. I want to know him in a real way. I want to experience him in my life. I, 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 I really long to go deeper in my relationship with God. I want to sit with him. I want to hear from him. I want to talk to him. I want to just enjoy a sweet time with him. Anybody tracking? That is the desire of every true believer, and it's the purpose for your life. See, God made you to know him. And so this summer... This study is really revolving around the center heart. If you look at the logo, you see the very center there where the, the, yeah, everything, the ripples kind of emanate out of that center point. The real center point of our focus this summer is going deeper in our relationship with God, really knowing the Lord more and allowing his, that relationship, his presence in our life to really begin to ripple out, to flow out into all different facets of, of our everyday living. That's the real heart of this study. But what I said last week is that a lot of times in our lives, and I don't, I don't know about you, but we think of, 
it's, it's hard for us to know how to take steps. You ever want some practical holds for like how to take steps toward knowing God more? I, I know for me, that is like so helpful. And God has given us spiritual disciplines as a means for us to be able to begin to learn to take more steps toward God and knowing him more in our life. Now, the, the thing about it is, and I told you last week, I, I need everybody to understand this, okay? I'm gonna say it probably at the start of every week. Your relationship with God is not something that you can produce. You can't change your heart. You can't fix your life. You can't corner God into a corner and make him do something for you. You can't manipulate or control God. See, the thing that you need, this relationship with God, is not something that you can manufacture. It's not something that you can work for. It's not something that by what you do, you can just gain something. It's not, it doesn't work that way. God works in grace by faith the work that he has done for you and still wants to do for you in his son, Jesus. The whole hope of our life, the hope of you going deeper with God is not that you could ever do anything, but that God has done everything. Start to finish for he so loved the world and you that he gave his one and only son that whosoever might believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The wonderful hope of your life is not that by sitting here in church this morning, you can somehow gain something in God's eyes. No, but God so loved you that he wants to give you everything, even though you bring him nothing. He wants to give you everything because Jesus came to live perfectly the life that you have not and cannot live. Jesus came to die sacrificially, to take away your sin, to give you a new beginning. And he rose from the dead that he might provide the victory, the new life, the new power, his presence that you need and hope for a future that you need to live with him. And that's the great news of the gospel, is it not? It's great news that God has done it all start to finish and that he calls on you to receive what he has done, to receive what he can do by you just having a heart, a yielded heart of saying, yes, God, give me what you have. I want you, God. Could you please come to me, God? That is the heart of all who believe. And that gift can be yours today. Even if you've never, ever received it and you think, I'm not worthy of that. You know what? You're not and neither am I. But God still wants to give that if you just call out to him. That's the wonderful news of how we have a relationship with God. But he also calls us in our growth in that relationship to position ourselves in such a way that we can grow deeper. And that's the study of spiritual disciplines. Paul said to Timothy, we looked at last week, train yourself. Remember we looked at this? What did he say? Train yourself for godliness. For going to the gym has value, as y'all can tell this morning. In every way, I'm just kidding, I don't go to the gym. Some of you are really confused. You're like, he goes to the gym? That's, that's scary. I don't think I'm gonna waste my time. Um, no, going to the gym has value in, in physical ways, but if you train yourself in godliness, it has value in every way, not only for this life, but in the life to come. In other words, God would have us to grow deeper. The good news is God wants you to grow deeper. If you want that, God wants that too. Good, you're cooperating with God. Now, how is it though that you're gonna go deeper? He's appointed some ways for you to live your life that positions you to really receive from his transforming grace in your life. 
Much like I said last week, Bartimaeus sought after Jesus and Jesus stopped to encounter him and to heal him and to save him because of his seeking him. Zacchaeus positioning himself there in the tree that he could get a good view of Jesus. Jesus stops, sees what the position that Zacchaeus is in because Zacchaeus is seeking God and Zacchaeus experiences God's transforming grace because of the position that he put himself in seeking after God. God says, if you will seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. In other words, there's a work for us to do. There are things for us to learn. There are rhythms of life that we can begin to live in that actually show the Lord, that position ourselves in a way to really receive from God his grace upon grace. Like a farmer tends to the ground, he cannot make that seed grow, I said last week, but he can tend to the ground. He can provide the maximum opportunity. He can provide the right condition so that seed could take root and come to life and yield fruit. Yet the farmer doesn't control the life of that seed, but he positions that seed in such a way that it would grow. In the same way, we can position our life through the spiritual disciplines. Y'all remember this? Okay, that's the end of my intro. (laughs) Now, what I said for you is that in each week of this summer, we're gonna be walking through different areas of spiritual discipline. Now, folks, folks categorize these in all, all kinds of ways. Um, for instance, out on the table, I've got Foster's book. This is a great book if you don't have it, Celebration of Discipline. He, he categorizes the spiritual disciplines and in inward disciplines, things that are just private between us and God. Outward disciplines, things that are between us and the world. And, and then corporate disciplines, things that we experience with other believers. Dallas Willard, for instance, another book available for you. Um, He describes it as disciplines of engagement. He categorizes engagement and then abstinence. Engagement, things that we do in the world around us to engage and cooperate with God and what God is doing. And then things of abstinence, things that we choose not to do in order to hush our busy lives, to be still and to focus on our relationship with God. That's another way of categorizing them. What I'm trying to get at, there's a lot of ways of categorizing them. <laughs> well, I, fa- I came across a, a resource that I also would recommend to you called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook by Adele Albert Calhoun. And she came up with a way of categorization that I just really liked. I really, really like it. And in fact, I like it so much that I'm gonna use it as kind of a basis for our categories. It works nicely for me because it's an acronym and I am a cheesy, cheesy guy. Anybody like acronyms? I love them. They just help me remember. So it's an acronym. It also happens to be an acronym of seven letters. And guess what? There's seven weeks in this series. It just worked, guys, okay? There's no right or wrong way, but it's gonna help us move through. So I want you to write down the way that she chooses to categorize because it's the way we're gonna follow. Following desire to discipline. Again, the, the heart wanting to know God more and wanting to have God's presence so fill our lives that it would overflow into every area. How do we move into practical disciplines that position us to be so transformed by the grace of God? Her acronym is worship, convenient. Worship, W. First one is worship God. Now under each of these, there are practical outworkings of how we are to pursue in practical ways, positions that help us to be transformed by God. Number one, worship God. Two, open myself to God. Everybody should write them down. Put them in your phone, something. Three, relinquish the false self and idols of my heart.
share my life with others. Five, hear the word of God. Six, incarnate Christ's love for the world. And then seven, pray to God. So we got worship God. These are desires that God wants us to have deep in our heart. How to worship God. We're going to talk about that one today. Two, open myself to God. Three, relinquish the false self and the idols of my heart. Four, sharing my life, opening my life up to others. Five, hearing the word of God. Six, incarnate Christ's love for the world. And then seven, pray to God. Now there, I know with some of you right now, there are things that are already sticking out to you like a sore thumb in your heart. There are some of these areas and you go, oh gosh, I know that God wants that and I have no idea how to do that. And that's great news. See, you get to come back every week this summer and what we're gonna be doing is walking through the practical that God is calling you to grow in and that you could really begin to focus yourself. And it's gonna be that way each week also. Each week, I'm gonna just highlight, here's the, here's the reality. I'm gonna highlight one or two, three, I don't know how much time I'm gonna, how many I'm gonna get through at the time I have. But for instance, like we're gonna start today with worship. I'm gonna highlight a couple of practical disciplines for you, but there's so many more. But what it's meant to do is just to move you into practical outlets that you can begin to pursue these desires in greater ways and experience God's transforming grace in greater ways. So this morning, we're gonna focus on worshiping God. Now I want you to take a second with your neighbor and um, just talk together for just a few seconds. What do you think of when you think of worshiping God? What does that look like? And, what, and practically, what are you supposed to do? All right, go. What did y'all say? What did y'all say? Music, church. Okay. Apparently y'all are not talking about worship. (laughs) What else did you say? I'm just weirding some of you out. I'm asking you to talk during a sermon and some of you are just not used to that, whatever. Okay, stop talking. what, some of you said music, some of you said Sundays. Anybody else say anything profound or goofy? Anybody? Being thankful. Okay, what else? Surrender. Great. Oh my gosh, y'all are already ahead of me. Working. Okay. Anything else? Singing and praising. Great. A lot of times when people think of worship, 
um, they think of an experience on Sunday mornings. Anybody, if you're honest with yourself or did you ever, you know, used to think that or maybe you still think that? I think of worship is like, I go to worship, right? I, I, we're going to worship this morning. All right, kids, get in. I remember, mom, I love you. Um, it's so funny though. It's just, it just happens in every family. I'm going to be like this in a few years. Get in the car. We're going to go to worship. You know, it's that experience, you know, going to church, going to worship. And then we kind of do the thing and we get through it. No, we're done. Okay. And I, you know, what'd you do this morning? I worship God. Um, went to worship. I went to church. A lot of times that is, that's about as deep as we get. But the reality is worship comes from an old Saxon word that literally means worth-ship. I've taught this before. Worth-ship, worthy of your attention, worthy of your heart's affection. Something that controls the devotion of your heart. Something you would ascribe worth to. And the reality is God has made us worshiping beings. And I don't have a lot of time to teach on the theology of worship, but all of us worship, everybody, whether you are a believer or you're not a believer, a Christian or whatever. And that scares some of you because you're like, oh gosh, what what are you trying to say? Does everybody worship God? Well, not necessarily, because what happens is our hearts are created to be devoted, to to cast allegiance and affection on, on God. But the reality is many people, in fact, I would argue most people in the world today, they are worshiping something or someone other than God. They're worshiping, but their heart's allegiance and their heart's affection is not going toward God. It might be going toward another person or it might be going toward a career or it might be going toward a hobby or it might be going toward retirement or it might be going toward money or it might be going toward et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are all kinds of things that can control your heart's affection and allegiance. That is worship, being devoted to something or someone. But the reality is, in Scripture, we see that God has created us and calls us to see that our hearts are only devoted in Him. For our hearts will never be satisfied, our hearts will never be free, our hearts will never be full and overflowing until they find that Really, our hearts are made for who? For God. So that's why Psalm 95, verse 6, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Come. It's an invitation. Come. You want to worship? Listen, your heart is roaming for a place to worship. You are always trying to find something to express affection to and allegiance to. Come. Come, God says. Let us worship and bow down, kneeling before the Lord, our God, our maker. A whole universe is caught up in the worship of God. Worship is essentially just focusing on and responding to God. Augustine, there is a cockroach. There is a cockroach running around the stage. Is that why everybody's been laughing? I thought I had something in my teeth. I thought I was talking funny. I saw somebody pointing a second ago. I was like, what is... That cockroach... Never mind, I'm not going to make an example. (laughs) Just let it be. Let it be. Um, If it starts crawling up me, just point again. Okay. Augustine's... (laughs) um, The Christian should be an alleluia from the head to the foot. The reality is our lives are meant to respond to God with hallelujah all the time in worship. We should be the happiest of people, the most 
full of all people, the most satisfied and overflowing of people because we are focused on God. And we're constantly giving ourselves to God that he might fill us with all that he wants to fill us with. Um, John 20, 28, remember that passage that we looked at with Thomas after he realized that Jesus was the son of God. Remember he fell down. He said, my Lord, my God. And in Revelation chapter four, eight to 11, and then again in chapter five, 12 to 13, we see a picture of heaven. It says the four living creatures which weird some of us out. Each of them with six wings, what? Full of eyes, what? Around and within, day and night, they never cease. Some of y'all, I know how you read the Bible. You look at this and go, what? But the picture is this, the most majestic of beings that you could ever imagine in your mind, even better than the best movie that you've seen, all of the most wonderful things in creation. Imagine it. All in heaven laying down and they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders then fall down before him. That's a picture of who we are, who we should be. The elders, our leaders, the greatest of men you've ever imagined falling before the Lord God pointing your attention, our attention, not to, oh, check this cool gadget out or, oh, come see this football team play. Go dogs. Oh, check out the, imagine the coolest things that you get excited about in this life, the Grand Canyon or the next big vacation. All those things are great, but they all fade. They all fade in their glory. They all fade in their beauty. The the happiness that you can get from it only lasts for a moment. And the greatest of men in the world are pointing our attention. They're all bowing down in heaven and saying, worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast off their crowns, the greatest of human achievements. They take them off and they put them before God and they say, worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will, they existed and they were created. Jesus in Matthew 4.10 says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I could keep going with the scriptures, but the reality is your heart is a beating heart, not just physically, but spiritually. And your heart is longing for something to put your allegiance in and your affection in. And God says, your heart is created to worship God and God alone. So let's get on. Let's get on with the business of enjoying our awesome God. Amen. Let's get on with the business of focusing on him and loving him and adoring him and getting caught up and raptured and just, wow, wow. Who cares about the next iPhone 6 Plus? I mean, I do. I really want it. But in comparison, God is the greatest. He alone deserves my heart. Amen? And worship is essentially the process of focusing on and responding to him. Jesus said to the woman at the well, you should worship, worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, focus on the right thing. There's a truth side of worship. Okay? There's a truth side of worship. That's why I believe that Muslims do not truly worship. They're giving allegiance and affection to something, but it's not the true God. We have very different realities of who God is. And I believe there's only one God and he is a certain way and we can't define who he is, but he can tell us who he is. And I believe that our God, the God of the Christian scriptures is God alone. 
And I believe that what Jesus is saying is you've got to know who God is. You've got to know worship in truth, the true God. You don't look down on the well and see your reflection and worship that. No, you, you seek to know who God really is and you worship him for who he really is, okay? But then you also worship in spirit. In other words, it's not a mental exercise. It needs to move down slowly until it permeates the depth of your heart and soul. Such you don't just go, yeah, God, okay. But you go, oh, yes, God, with tears in your eyes, with joy in your heart, with hands lifted high. That worship, and it's focusing your attention on that. And sometimes, if I, if I just had one thing to offer you in worship, in terms of practical, and I'm gonna get into a few disciplines, I'm not gonna have time to do all of them, whatever. I was, I was walking the other day with Caroline. I took her out to Harbortown. Y'all know Ben's Park. I don't know if you know that little place, but after school, I took her and I wanted to just spend some time with her and play. It was hot as blazes, but... I was sweating, it was, but she was having a good time. And uh, we were walking and she's starting to do this thing where like you can hold her by one hand and she's doing this like trot. It's the cutest thing ever. And now I'm just being a dad and I'm gushing. But anyway, she's walking and we're like walking down the sidewalk together and she walks literally slower than a turtle. And so I'm sitting there going, oh, heavenly day. She really wants to walk. Every time I picked her up, she's crying because she really wants to walk, but it is so hot. And I just like, can we please get back to the car quicker? And... What I start realizing is she's walking by some houses and we walk by this flower bed. And at my pace of walking, I walk like a giant, right? I have, you know, my pace because of my long legs, I I walk pretty fast. But she was walking by these flower beds and what she started noticing, she was noticing the flowers. She'd stop. She was not going anywhere. Stop. Look, I say flower. And I'd like nudge, you know, pull her on. Like, okay, that's a flower. And she just wouldn't go anywhere. And I'd drag her a little bit further forward and she'd stop and she'd point. I'd say, flower. And she, but she would not move. And then what she started doing was she started to reach out. And then what she did, she'd touch, touch the little flower. And I said, yeah, flower, move on, kid, right? <laughs> not rocket science, it's still a flower. But not only is she touching it, now she's getting her little bitty fingers, which are much smaller than mine, obviously, And she's going up into the flower and she's examining every little part to the flower. And she looked back at me with a smile and I'd say, flower, you know, come on. And she'd go back to the flower. She wasn't just satisfied and passing it by, but rather what she wanted to do was stop and really behold the flower. And in this moment, I got caught up in this flower and I'm sitting there going, I've past this stupid flower all the time. I mean, I've seen this kind of flower. I think it was a daffodil or something like that a million times, but I'm always either driving by it at 40 or 50 miles an hour. Not that I would ever speed, but I'm always driving by it or walking by it quick. And I never, I was starting to think, when is the last time that I stopped to behold this flower, to really behold it? And I started noticing things about the way that it was made. And this flower is beautiful. It was a really beautiful flower. And because of my sweet little daughter who just wanted to touch all over this thing, she was admiring something that I think I had just missed. And God created a beautiful daffodil. <laughs> Daffodils are beautiful, whatever that flower is. It's a really beautiful thing. And I had just, worship is similar. It's not just passing by with a casual glance going, yeah, there it is. But worship is the process in our hearts where we stop to behold the beauty the wonder, the splendor, the glory, 
the intricacies of God's person and character. And we stop and we go, that's God. It's God. I love God. He's the best. Oh, come and sing with me. Have you seen God? It's, it's the, the act of the heart. There's really nothing more than that. It is the act of the heart by which you behold, you focus your attention, you give your affection to the beauty, the wonder of the person of God. And worship is not a Sunday thing. Worship is a life thing. God says, come, worship and bow down. Kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. And that looks like always and everywhere in everything that you're doing, whether it be Sunday morning, whether it be Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Monday morning with the kids or with the craziness or Monday afternoon with the annoying coworkers, God is constantly calling us to live a life of worship where you're constantly stopping to behold like Caroline and the flower. I just want you to get that image in your head to behold the beauty and the wonder of God, to look at his the intricacies of his character and the wonders of his grace, the beauty of his redemption, and just to be amazed, to be floored, for that to begin to to capture the bulk of your attention and the bulk of your affection. That is the pursuit of worship. You got it? So when you're thinking about this discipline, here's what you could know. That is God's desire for you. Now, what you've got to figure out is how do you cooperate with the Lord? How do you position your life in such a way? Like me going to the gym is kind of important for me to get um, even buffer than I am now, right? Rob, please stop laughing. This is, (laughs) when you laugh that loud, I hear you and it hurts my feelings. I'm just kidding, Rob, I love you. But going to the gym is an integral part of getting healthy. You know, if you're struggling with weight, watch what you eat. There are things that we do. God has a work for us to do. We need to position ourselves to move deeper into worship. Does that make sense? So what is it that we can do? And this is the process of cultivating spiritual disciplines in worship. I only have five minutes. This, this stinks for you. Um, actually, probably, you're probably like, that doesn't stink. That's great. Um, I have five minutes left that I've allotted myself and... I want to point your direction to a couple of things. And then I just want to whet your appetite to go and look at resources or come meet with me. And let's talk this through some more. Or I can make copies for you of worksheets that would be wonderful for you if you want to move into greater discipline, spiritual discipline in the area of worship. Because let me just tell you, I have a lot of, I have a lot of room to grow in this area. Would you, th- would you agree that about yourself? In terms of cultivating that kind of heart of affection and admiration and allegiance to God all the time, I have a lot of room to grow. So what are some things that we can do? What are some ways that God has appointed? First thing I want to point your attention to is a word called Sabbath. This kind of really pricks some of your toes because it really pricks mine. Sabbath, you see the scriptures there, Hebrews 4, 1, 9 to 11, Mark 2, Exodus 20. Sabbath is coming from a desire to set a day a week for rest and worship of God. I start here because God starts here. 
He took the seventh day and he rested to enjoy what he had made. And he commands us in Exodus chapter 20 that we should observe a Sabbath. And I don't believe that that commandment is dead. Though it's not our way to God, I believe it is reflective of the heart of God and the desire of God for our lives. Jesus affirms the Sabbath, not in a legalistic sense. He's trying to help men see men are not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath is made for man. In other words, Sabbath is a gift of God for you. It's something that I struggle with because here's the thing with Sabbath. It moves you from a Martha to a Mary. In other words, it moves you from a place of doing to a place of being. It helps you to remember that life is not dependent on you and all of your busyness and all of your work and all of your control and all of your effort, but it helps you remember that life is dependent on God and God alone. It forces you to stop and smell the roses of God and smell the roses of God's creation and smell the roses of God's gifts to you in life. I really believe that if you're serious about worship, moving into an area of worship, and I'm not trying to criticize or condemn those who have jobs that prohibit this kind of Sabbath rest. I understand, I understand, but I really, at the same time, trying to uphold what God says. For many of us, we can set aside 24 hours a week. The Jewish people would have, on the night before Sabbath, prepared for Sabbath. It started sundown the day before. On Saturday evening before Sundays, you begin to quiet your soul. You can turn off your cell phone. You can go to bed early. When you wake up, you can wake up still without an alarm clock. Some of you are going to miss church, so you better set an alarm clock. Stretch out in bed. Breathe deep. Enjoy a great breakfast. Don't go immediately to the news or to your email. You intentionally choose not to do some of the things that stress you out, like think about plans for the next week or get involved in really frustrating or serious conversations. Instead, you just practice restful activities that help you. Again, it's not just so that you could go out and enjoy fishing or the lake or whatever. It is aimed at helping you cultivate a greater heart of God, awareness of his presence in your life, stillness that you can hear from him, enjoyment of all the blessings that he gives. Do things that you enjoy. Go get coffee. Go have a great conversation with a friend. Enjoy your family. Take a nap. Thank you, Lord, for naps on Sunday afternoons. Anybody with me? If anybody is in the practice of Sabbathing, they will tell you that it is a wonderful, wonderful gift of God. But it has to be pursued intentionally. Nothing about taking 24 hours is going to give you God. But if you take the 24 hours with a desire to experience the presence of God more, to spend more time with him, to rest and let go and give things into God's hands. See, that's one of the hard things about Sabbath for me. It's hard for Chick-fil-A to close on Sundays. Don't y'all think? It's hard for me to have Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays. I know that much. Every Sunday, I want Chick-fil-A. I don't know why. I imagine that it was a hard decision. What if we don't, what if our competition beats us out? What if we struggle? What if, what if, what if? And that's the same reason I struggle with Sabbath. What if I don't work? If I don't work, things aren't gonna get done. That's the very reason God created the Sabbath because he wants you to realize that things will be okay because he's God and you're not, amen? It cultivates greater trust and dependency of God. And I promise you that if you go into Sabbath rest with your desire set on knowing and enjoying the presence of God more, stopping to look at that flower and all of its intricacies, your heart will be moved 
to greater worship. Amen? Secondly, praise. Not only Sabbath resting, but praising. Praising is one of the corporate things that we do. I happen to believe that coming to a worshiping body of believers is very important in your life. A single log lit on fire lasts a little while, but you get a whole bunch of logs put together and you light those things on fire, you got a blaze. It's awesome, right? Am I the only one that likes bonfires? I love them. The principle of that is that there is a joy of being together. Acts speaks of us constantly of the believers meeting together to praise God. And praise is an intentional act by whereby you lift your voice, you raise your hands. Singing is very important. Whether you feel like it or not. I've watched some of you on Sundays and you barely even open your little mouth. Open your mouth. Sing loud. Except those of you who who feel conscious about the way you sound. But still sing loud, I think. In, in Acts, in 5 and in 16, we see a model that in the worst of circumstances, Paul and Silas, when they have stripes across their back, they come out bloodied and bruised and they're singing to God. In the prison, putting in the prison for sharing the gospel. And what happens? The prison is filled with songs to God. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Listen, sing in the shower. Who cares? Sing when your breakfast is getting ready. Sing when you come in on Sundays. And bodily posture is important. Lift up your hands, even if you don't feel like it. There's something that when you lift your hands to God or you put your hands in this position, there's a really funny comedic video on on the internet about all the ways that Christians lift their hands. It's really, really funny if you haven't seen it. We can make fun of ourselves all day long. That's fine. But there's something about when I put my hands out like this, I, in my heart, feel more surrendered to God. When I lift my hands like this, I feel them out. It moves me to praising God. And there's some days I come in as a pastor and I don't want to lift my hands. I don't feel like singing. Circumstances suck. And I just don't feel like it. But there's something about raising my hands and focusing my attention on Jesus on the cross, died for my sin, risen again, triumphant savior that moves my heart to worship. Are you tracking with me? When you feel repentant, get on the floor, lay down, get on your knees. That's why in the Old Testament, they wore sackcloth and ashes. They put stuff all over their body. Now that stuff didn't make them repentant, but it was a symbolic thing for them that allowed them to feel their own spiritual poverty, their own spiritual need before God. Do what you need to do. Find a place that you connect to God. Go to that place. Consider God's character. Take his names and focus on them one by one like petals of a flower. Do things that move you to praise and then speak those things out loud. Oh God, how I love you. I just made up that song. I have no idea where that comes from. We should be people of praise. Third, gratitude. How much time do I have, Robbie? This boat is about to leave the port. Okay. I just made that up too. I don't even know what that means. Um, boat's leaving the port. I was supposed to say, I'm about to land this plane. That's the phrase that I like using. And I said boat and port. That makes no sense. Um, gratitude. Gratitude is another way that you can practice um, worship. This is things that you can do to begin to cultivate a greater heart of worship. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. 
There's a difference in being thankful and giving thanks. God says to give thanks. In other words, take intentional time to say to God, God, I thank you. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. Being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting to live with a grateful heart that you would be aware of God's presence and work in your lives and all the resources that he has provided for you. Sing songs that focus on God's generosity. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks. Listen, if I sing that song for about three minutes, some of you don't even know that song, but after three minutes, no matter what I'm going through, all of a sudden I find myself being thankful. Lord, you are good and your mercies endure it forever. Some of y'all don't like hearing me sing. That's a problem with me and not you. <clears throat> but that puts me in an attitude of worship. Now, at the beginning of that song, I may not feel grateful, but by the end of that song, typically God has done something in my heart through the Holy Spirit's transforming grace such that by me offering gratitude and praise, God has begun to cultivate worship in my heart, which is what I really desire. Every day, thanking God for one thing. Before you go to bed every night, take your little book beside your bed and write down, you have to force yourself, you've got to do this. Force yourself to write down at least one thing that you are thankful for from that day. Something that God has done, something he's shown you about who he is or what he's done that you're thankful for. Express thankfulness toward others. Have a thank you party. Invite people over you need to say thank you to or write a thank you note. It will make you grateful. Find yourself when you begin to make comparisons and stop doing it. Don't focus on what you don't have, but do focus on what you do have. Be thankful. Give and share of what God has done for you as a sign of thankfulness toward God. Give something away. Share something out of overflow to remind you you have more than what you need. Again, these practices alone aren't gonna just make you a worshiper, but rather these practices position you in a way that you might experience a more grateful heart and more worshiping heart toward the Lord. Does that make sense? These are practical things. There's more. I was gonna talk to you about even more, um, but for time, I will close. And just, this gives me a chance to say, come talk to me, right? I would love for you to come to me or email me and say, I would really like to know other ways that I can cultivate a heart of worship. But the reality is, in this area of our life, we know that we need to be worshiping people. And I believe that in your heart today, God is stirring in you a desire to be more of a worshiper. That more of your affection and allegiance would go toward the Lord. That like Caroline, you would take time all the time to stop and just enjoy the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the person, the presence of God you would be a worshiper. But the reality is, like the farmer, that seed God wants to grow up and you can't do anything to make it grow, but you can cultivate the right environment that that thing might grow and bear fruit in your life. What of these things do you need to start moving toward? Out of a desire to be more of a worshiper, is it Sabbath? Maybe you should try that this week. Maybe it's not a whole day. Maybe you can just take a half day. Start somewhere. How can you spend time just cell phones off, work done, just still in the presence of God, learning to trust him more? Maybe it's praising. Maybe it's this song, singing, singing loud. Maybe it's beginning to posture yourself in ways that really evoke more praise. Maybe it's a practice of 
how could I take time, 20 minutes a day, to really consider that flower of the beauty of the Lord? What are some things that I could do to cultivate pause and reflection so that I can enjoy more of God and my heart could be moved to worship? Maybe it's gratitude. Maybe you're a very critical person. Maybe you're always seeing what you don't have and not focusing on what you do have. And God's saying to you today, hey, come, be grateful. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He's good. And his mercy endures forever. Oh, I'm so thankful for God. Aren't you? I want to know more of him. And I want to be more of a worshiper. I want you to be too. So as we stand and sing in closing, and this is our final act of worship, I pray that you would just say to God today, Lord, would you help me? to know you more, to love you more. And would you give me a heart of worship? God, we just pray right now that that would happen in our church, in every person that's here, that every person, Lord, you're seeking us out, but we have to respond to you. You never impose yourself on us. You want us to invite you in. And so, Lord, we just pray right now that we would invite you in, that you would transform our hearts to be hearts of worship. Come, let us worship the Lord, our God, our maker. Help us to just see your beauty, to ascribe to you affection, to be allegiant to you supremely, that everything else would have second place, but our hearts would be moved by you. Lord, would you give us hearts of worship? And this week, I pray that all of us could find ways to position ourselves in a greater way so that you might cultivate a greater heart of worship in us. We just worship and adore you, God. There is no one like you. There's no one else on earth that we desire besides you. You are the Lord. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. No matter what circumstance we're going through, even Jesus, when he was faced with a shortage of bread and fish, he lifted them up and he gave praise to you. Oh, thank you, God. Lord, in every circumstance, whether good or bad, we can bring our hearts to you and adore you and worship you. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name.